if you're feeling bad for yourself, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling negative, like you need to serve other people. That's mm. how you get to the place of happiness. And so I think there's these opportunities that God gives us. And unfortunately we're in a world where there's a lot of bad, there is a lot of negative. And, um, but, but honestly, like, I think it's, I'm more hopeful than ever. Yeah. I think it's so easy to find the good and find good people. And I see it everywhere, every single day. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. All right. Jimmy Rex, Dude, my man. Justin, good to be here, man. I'm so excited you're here. I guess a little bit of an intro that at least I know is you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you have the Jimmy Rex show, the podcast, you're 400 episodes in. Just about, yeah. Yeah, just about. And then uh, you've wrote a couple books. Yep. Best-selling author. And now I'm, I'm excited because you're wearing the shirt and I wanted to talk about that. Where we are the they. We we are the they. Yeah, we are the they. And that's basically about being the hero of your own story. Yeah, it's the I uh, love that premise. That concept, you know, of like well, and I, I will get into it, but yeah. yeah, like people always wait for somebody else to step up and do something. It's like, no, there is no they. Like we are the they. That's the whole concept of it. Yeah. Well, I love that. And then one of your books is you end up where you're headed. Yep. yep. And that's basically about, you know, well, I mean, I'll let you say it. Well, it's, you know, it's the premise of the whole book is the subtitle is The Hidden Dangers of Living a Safe Life. Mm. And on their deathbeds- I was going to say that. That's so know, good. Yeah. On their deathbeds, nobody regrets the decisions they made, the things they did. is They regret the things they didn't do. Uh, those dreams that died with them. You know, and the whole premise is die with memories, not dreams. Like, mm. go live your life. And, and, you know, at the end of our lives, the- quality and the quantity of life that we've lived is going to come down to those amazing moments that we had. And so the more you can stack those, the more you can get out of your comfort zone, uh, the more right. fulfilling life you're going to, you're going to have. Yeah. And for those listening, we just pulled that up on the YouTube or the, the video where you can see that, but you can go get, you end up where you're headed, uh, heading, yeah. um, with Jimmy Rex and, uh, would love you to support that book because that sounds powerful. I mean, what, what do you think is one of the the biggest hidden dangers of living a safe life. Well, you know, and it's interesting because biologically we, back in the day, I mean, our DNA, you know, our hardwiring was you had to uh, stay colonized. You had to stay mm. together you had to build walls around you. That's how you stayed safe. You, and so, you know, it's, I think a lot of people have that DNA still where it's like um, it's, to, to stay alive. Cause we're all, you know, trying to replicate and survive at all times. Right. right. And to do that, you had to settle in, anchor in, huddle together, whatever, play it safe. But now it's the opposite. I mean, it's, you know, I, I use the beginning of the book. I talk about the guy that's driving to the office and he's stuck in traffic and he gets to the, uh, you know, to his office. He sits in his cubicle and he's eating his food from a, you know, from the 
uh, from a sack that day and just whatever, just, yeah, just this mundane life where you're <laughs> right. just slow death and just nothing happening. And then you get to the end of your life and it's like, what did you do, you know? And, and so I think the biggest danger that you have is that you miss the opportunity to do so much more. You miss um, that opportunity to leave your mark, to, to inspire mm. other people. Because truly, I think the best leaders, the best... Um, you can hope for in a life is to inspire and lead other people to create other leaders and to create a movement similar to like what you've done, where you go out and you inspire other people. That's where you really get to have huge impact. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of like not living, you know, I'm afraid wow. of, I'm so afraid of just not having those experiences and, and getting to the end and, and wondering what could have been. Yeah, absolutely. And how important do you think I mean, I know you think travel is really important. You've been to 91 plus countries. Yep. And I think, uh, so I grew up here, Texas, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. And I remember being in school and, and I was very fortunate. My parents were entrepreneurs and, uh, or had a sports photography company and they were like the, I don't know, the official photographers were like the Dallas Mavericks and the Cowboys and the Rangers, cool. but also like the Green Bay Packers and the Denver Broncos. And so I got to be around professional sports knowing I want to be a professional athlete, but also I got to travel out of the state. And since I was from a little country town outside of Fort Worth, there were so many kids that would be like, why do I ever need to leave Texas? And I, I just never understood that because there were actually a lot of kids that didn't leave the state. We got everything here. Texas is the best, you know? And I'm just like, wow, you're like, you're selling yourself short. But I was thinking that at an early age, like seventh and eighth grade. And you've been so many places. And so that means you've seen so many cultures. Well, yeah, and it's, I think it's the growth that you get, right? Like for me, every time I travel and I experience a new culture, I experience a new experience, you're just, your mind is open to new ideas. And new, it's like, for me, the example I give is my whole life, I was looking at this map, right? And you're like, okay, this is the whole world. This is like your Texas guys, right? They're like, okay, I see the whole world. It's right here. It's my Texas. And that's all you know. And then all of a sudden you start traveling, you start experiencing other cultures, religions, people. And it's like, yo, back up. There's more to the map. And you mm. step back and the map just opens up to everything. And there's just so much more. And there's so much more beauty and there's so much more, you know, we're afraid of things that we don't know. Mm. And so a lot of times if something's different or somebody's different, this is where a lot of, you know, I think um, people's uh, like racism and things like that come from is they just don't know. People are scared because they're unfamiliar with it. And so as you put yourself out there and you go and you experience these things, you kind of realize, oh my gosh, like this is nothing to be afraid of. Right. Um, I'll give an example. I went to Egypt. I had a buddy, um, he was born there and um, is my Freddie, my, my buddy Hasem. And for, uh, 11 years, he hadn't been back. And so me and him went a couple of years ago. He's got, you know, his family here, five kids and, um, his uh, wife and everything. Egypt we, is somewhere I've always wanted to go. And especially Amy over here, like, uh, dying see the pyramids yeah, it's a must, else. it's a must yeah. see for sure. It's, it's one of those things where you're just like, how, you know, right. but we got there and I'd kind of, I mean, I grew up in Utah. We don't really have the most diversity, you know, mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> there. and I, um, but I went to Egypt and I'd kind of always had this, not fear, but a little bit of a fear of like Muslim people. And I get out there and, and we have these two dinners back to back nights with his entire family, 25, you know, Muslim people. And they were the kindest, most beautiful people. They're just playing with their kids. We didn't speak the same language, but the love language was there. And you're just yeah. like, you walk out of there. And you know, when I was leaving, his mom pulled me aside and, you know, and, and as best as she could say, she said, I've been so worried about my boy over in America, mm. you know, for 11 years. And to see that he has a friend like you, I just, I love you. Thank you. Wow. It was just like one of those moments of life. You're just like, I see this like emotion. Oh, oh dude. It, yeah. Like, it was just such an emotion. It, it, was, it was, you know, well, because you're just like, that's what traveling does. That's what putting yourself out there does. You get those moments, those experiences where you get to 
just feel that like you'll never forget something like that. Yeah. And you know, something that I think in our culture, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of judgment and sometimes there isn't a lot of diversity and, you know, I, there was actually this, this guy in politics in, in Oklahoma, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, but I met him and, and he said something really important at a meeting one time. And he said, you know, you'll, he was a white guy and he says, you know, you'll hear people say, but I have this black friend or I have this Latino friend or, or Hispanic friend. And he was like, he challenges people and says, but how many people of another race, color, culture, whatever, how many have you actually had over to dinner? Mm -hmm. How many of those have you welcomed into your home? How many times have you been to their home? Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a really great perspective because there's so many defaults that we have where it's like, um, you know, but I know this guy from work or, or I train with this guy at the gym. And so I, I have this friend from another, you know, place or, 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 you know, culture or, or race. And it was just really profound to hear that because it's like, oh, that's, that's where, that's where conversations happen. Yeah. That's where relationship develops. It's like in the home, breaking bread, just right. like what you said, you know, going there to their home, spending two back-to-back -back dinners with them, 25 people. And those aren't short dinners, right? They're, <laughs> yeah. That's like, that a half-day thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Dinner's a half-day thing. Yeah. And what I loved about being over with the pygmy people in, in Africa and Congo and Uganda and, and to relate it back to here and a lot of our problems, you know, you see the recidivism rate and, and people going back to jail. And oftentimes those were kids or, or sons that, that had an absent father or someone that wasn't at home and something that blew me away. And I think there's, there's articles on the guardian and, and other places that, that call the, the pygmy people, the best fathers on earth. Wow. And it's because they hold their children more than 50% of the time. And so it was, I was just talking to Amy about this the other day and I'm like, you know, it was so cool going to their culture, being welcomed in, being adopted into their family and having mothers and grandmothers and, and fathers put their kids in my hands, like, and, and me being able to hold them and it not being weird, like in looking around at all, like sitting around the fire, holding a kid, like, and just seeing all the dads holding their children. I'm like, damn, these dads are great dads taking them hunting or taking them to go find honey or going whatever it is and being there being present and that was something that i just learned like by being there it was like yeah. wow these guys these guys are incredible fathers well it's such a, that's such a great thing to learn too i think it's the biggest problem that we have today is is mm -hmm. like fathers not being present i really believe mm -hmm. that and um, and communities being able to raise each other with each other's dads and stuff mm. like that. I think that there's, you know, I have a lot of Polynesian friends and they do such a great job in their community of, of raising each other. Mm. Everyone calls everyone cousin and uncle and everything because it's, they all raised each other and it creates this, um, I mean, the, the, the respect that they have for their elders and for their mothers and, and they just want to show up for each other. And it's, it's a really, at least it's like a subculture within our community where I love going and hanging out with them all the time because it's, then they adopt you in the same yeah. thing. You're just kind of there and it's just this family culture. And, 
it's it's really beautiful when you see it. Yeah, I have some big Samoan and Tongan friends that are from Dallas, Fort Worth. There's a big community, the Trinity Ulis High School. Like, they, oh, sure. they just dominate because they're all like Samoan and Tongan kids that are on the the offensive or defensive line. And we would have these big cookouts of, uh, you know, the pig, and I forget what they call it, but um, those are some of the most fun times. And yeah, you're right, like saying cousin, friend, brother, all yeah, that. It's, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. So man, being the hero of your own story, how does how does one go about and do that? Well, and that's, you know, and I think that's the part where there's two things. There's knowing what to do, and then there's actually taking action and doing it, right? Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, I think one of the reasons I wanted to write the book is I wanted to show an outline of, look, this is kind of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's not... Um, well, I think it's important to say, because I know you, and I've seen you, and we've had experiences together, and I've watched you online, it's like you're actually doing it. You know, so you're giving people a practical map from your lived experiences. Yeah, and that's what the book is. It kind of takes my own experiences, and then I add in examples of other people I've come across in my life, right? And, you know, I a couple of years ago, I, um, I kind of was trying to figure out what the purpose of my life was going to be. I'd left the religion of my youth, and I was kind of just in this spot where I was trying to figure everything out, and I really dug into it for a lot of effort, put a lot into it. And I came up with this purpose, which is the purpose of my life is to share my tremendous love with all of God's children, bringing happiness to others through my playful soul and by being an example of living an extraordinary life. Wow. And that last part of that, being an example of living an extraordinary life, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna show like what this looks like, like in all aspects of mm -hmm. life, like really trying to, and it's cool because anytime I get out of sync, I can look at my mission statement, my purpose, and I go, okay, this is, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not being playful right now. I'm upset or I'm, I'm you know, whatever negative energy I'm, I'm bringing. Or if I'm, you know, just kind of been playing back a little bit, it's like, oh, I'm not living an extraordinary life. And I can kind of put myself through this own test. But so in the book, that's the same thing as like, I show people these different stages, right? Because I, and you know this as much as anybody, I mean, this podcast is called Overcome. Like to get to that stage, thankfully we have um, God in his wisdom created these trials and these things that happen to us and for us. And so I think what is the most important is understanding that it's all part of that journey. And we have something in common. We both climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with water yeah, boys. Yeah, I went exactly. the year after you did. Yep. And uh, with Chris, Chris Long, Long and everybody yep. else, what an amazing experience. But you learn on the mountain, right? Like when you get to the top, you've been on the top, I've been on the top. Mm -hmm. You're not there very long no. before you need something else. Like if you I need have to go buddy, down and get some air. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, you're 20 minutes at top of that mountain and you go back down. If it was just about getting to the top, it's the same way in life. Like you've been to the top in life, right? I've been to the top in life, like just these highlights. And you, you're not there very long before you kind of got to go do the next thing because mm. if we're not growing and we, we're not contributing, we can't feel that fulfillment. And yeah. so, so many people mistake like getting to the destination. I mean, you could fly a helicopter to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and drop yourself off. You're not gonna feel the same way yeah, about it. True. And so the true journey is, so true. it's the effort, it's like the struggle, it's the 55 hours on the mountain of hiking and talking with your friends and, and just experiencing what it's like to overcome you know, I remember when I was climbing day one, I got a blister on my heel. Day two, I had diarrhea. Day three, I had motion or uh, altitude sickness. And I actually, my last day was my easiest day. Somehow I wow. just got touched by an angel that day and was felt amazing. But you, but you my, had all the hard stuff to begin. I did, dude. Yeah. I was like, my first day, I'm like, oh, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> and I was, we're at 10,000 feet and I'm already feeling altitude. But no, but it was, um, you know, but it's overcoming all that stuff. And then you get to the top and you're like, wow, like what a cool journey. And then you get to experience all that. And then you get to do the next thing and the next thing. And like, even with guys that I've been on that mountain with, 
we've now experienced so many other things and yeah. you know I, i've gone and done ayahuasca with them in in costa rica and i've with other guys i had one of the guys that was there come and, and teach my men's group um about teamwork and we did this cool exercise and then he ended up being um a guide for one of the guys wives in my group that wanted to do her first mma fight and she Whoa. needed help and i mean this is all just tying in my head as i'm saying it but like you know, she ended up needing some coaching the last minute and he talked her through with some breathing exercises and then she went out and she credited that with winning the fight. And yeah. it's like all these things like come together and that's where the journey is so much more than just that hike to the top of that mountain. It's that experience, that relationship that's built. And that's kind of how life goes too. And so it's it's enjoying all of that and taking all of that in. And that's what creates such an extraordinary life. This podcast is brought to you by onit.com. Onnit.com slash overcome. Use the code overcome to save yourself 10% on, I'm holding in my hands, the Alpha Brain Focus Shot. It's in this cool container. Amy's got the website pulled up I for do. you guys watching on YouTube. Did you drink your Focus Shot this morning? Absolutely. I, th I, I thought you did. I did too. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh my God. I feel so good. I always feel Because it's early right now energy. on a Monday. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. This is... This is one of the earliest podcasts we've done. Well, this is early for you. Early for you. <laughs> well, to, to go on the show, yeah, for sure. And it promotes focus and energy, supports a positive mood state, helps manage mental stress. And for me, I truly feel like it helps me get in the flow state faster, stay there longer. Whether I'm going into sparring, I had one before I went to sparring yesterday, and I had a four and a half hour training session because they were stacked. So I went from... 12 to 1.30 and then straight over to the gym from 2 to 4.30, 4.40. Came home tired last night, mm -hmm. but I was focused the entire time. I feel like it's very reliable about yeah. how I'm going to feel. The more I've used it, the more, doing this show, really, the more I'm able to know that when I drink it, I'm going to be on point. My brain's going to be functioning really well. I feel generally good. And that's been so nice to be able to know that it is not going to suddenly make me jittery or suddenly make me feel nauseous or whatever it is. Yeah, well, that, that for me is important because some of the products with caffeine, which just has some caffeine, but it's like plant-based and it's healthy and it's a low dose. It's not jittery bad. It's not jittery <laughs> at all. And sometimes I'll have, you know, one of those energy drinks or something and then I'm over-caffeinated, over-stimulated, and then I feel like I can't think as good. That's not good. Because it's, it's bothering me. Yeah. And all the Alpha Brain line is super reliable. The capsules, my favorites, the one of my favorites are the Instant. Then the black label and my all-time favorite is what we're talking about now. The Alpha Brain Focus Shots, they're incredibly good tasting. The tropical flavor, they also have peach, I believe. But mine's the tropical because it's passion fruit. And that's it delivers consistently. Fruit. And sometimes I'll take one and I'll split it between two smoothies when I make it for us in the morning. I'll just throw a little bit in each mm -hmm. and just, just adds a little something to like our protein powder and the fruit and whatever else we've got in there. Yeah, and thank you so much on it for supporting me. My comeback to fighting. Uh, fight for the forgotten and this podcast they make it possible so please support our sponsors who honestly i think have the best supplement line in the world and yeah. our favorite products alpha brain or total human get the best in one packet uh a morning support and a night support thank you thank you thank you for being here with overcome with justin wren and on it.com be sure to use overcome. that code mm -hmm. use the code overcome yep. save yourself some money Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the, you know, part of your podcast is interviewing exceptional people that are living these extraordinary lives. And I think it's so important that, that you are sharing that message with others, but also just personally for you, that as you're going out and doing this, trying to live an extraordinary life and be an example, you're interviewing people, getting ideas from them. Almost you guys are, are charging each other up. You guys are motivating each other, renewing each other. Like whenever you're down and you hear someone else's story, you're like, oh shit, now I can go out and do it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. The host overcome. gets the most, right? Like you're mm. learning the most. And one cool thing about having the podcast is I spend two to three hours researching each guest. So not only am I getting the time with them, but I'm also learning from them and their story ahead of time. And so, yeah, you end up getting recharged yourself. Um, you know, and you end up becoming friends with all these people. And so as you go out and you put yourself out there, I remember when I started my podcast too, like it was horrible. My first episode, <laughs> this is like five years ago I started. And it was like my buddy's two kids were getting into filming and I had them come and film it. And like, I was trying to, you know, have a crew and everything. It was a mess. But like, I ran out of questions 12 minutes into the interview, I didn't know what to ask this guy. And my buddy from behind the camera starts spitting questions out. This is like the podcast. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. And that was my first one, you know? And then you fast forward and it's like, now I can interview anybody I really want to get. And yeah. it's, you know, we have these amazing conversations, but there's a beauty to just starting and doing it. And the growth is what I was getting at that I've been able to have my ability to listen, my ability to talk and communicate and pull emotion out of people and all those kinds of things has just exponentially increased just by, by doing it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really important thing. And honestly, I could have learned from you in that statement, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it and have it any other way, but you know, I've been told for 10 years that I should start a podcast, start a podcast, start a podcast, and I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I would say, no, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. And I probably wasn't ready in, in my life You're never ready to start anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, same. Let's be real. But, be real. Yeah, but once I started dating Amy, we actually met, uh, for the listeners that don't know and for you, um, well, we, we met in Sedona, and it was an incredible kind of experience how we met. Um, it was during this like eye gazing healing type of right. ceremony thing. But but I came down to Austin to do her podcast and we weren't dating yet. And I asked her out right after her podcast. I was her first guest on her on her new show. And once we started dating and I saw her doing it and her inspiring me and me listening in on her shows, I would like go in and watch her in action. I was like, oh man, and her encouraging me, you encouraging me, Amy, to, you can do this. You should do this. And me being asked by the network we used to be with and, and other people, I was like, you know what? It's, it's freaking time. I should do this. And I think I, I know that I'm an all in kind of guy. I'm not going to do it if I'm not really going to do it. Yeah. And so maybe that was the hesitancy, but also like I could have, it didn't have to be perfect to get started. It just doesn't. Well, and that's, I think that's the misconception that a lot of people have is that people that are good at things, right? They see now, they see you with your podcast, or they see you doing MMA and wrestling, and they see me with my business stuff. And they're like, oh, those guys are just good at that. It's like, no, we were terrible at that. And yeah. by the way, I was just as scared as you probably are to start it. Like, yeah. I, you know, I was like, man, I'm really putting myself out here. You know, what are my parents going to think if I say something? Or what if I say the wrong thing and I'm canceled, you know? And it's like, yeah. you're, you're, I was just as scared as anybody else. But you're ultimately, you're like, no, you know what? I know. 
And here's what I think where people get messed up in this is because it's like, you're going to feel the fear, but you've got to focus on the reward. You got to focus mm. on your why. Why am I doing this? And I was like, no, I know I can change people's lives. I know with the information I have, with the, the relationships I have in my life, the guests I'll be able to have on, I'll be able to change people's lives. And so I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to do it. And if you focus on that, then you don't get caught up in, oh my gosh, that episode was terrible. Or, oh, my audio was a little off or whatever else. Or, oh, people are going to think I'm such an idiot. And you, you know, you focus on the good. And then all of a sudden these messages start coming in and people yeah. start telling you like, wow, man, that episode you did with so-and-so changed. I, I had one buddy, you know, as a guy that I didn't, I mean, he didn't know him that well, but he hit me up. This is probably 30 episodes into my podcast. And I'm kind of like, what am I doing here? Am I, is this worth it? Like I was enjoying it, but part of me was, and he goes, Hey man, I listened to your podcast with so-and-so. And I decided that day I'm going back to college. I signed up. I, wow. I, I there's some things I want to do with my life. And that inspired me to do it. And you're just like, all right, cool. Like yeah. that was just one person, you know, and, and then you get, you know, hundreds and thousands of people end up reaching out to you over time. But yeah, that's incredible, man. Well, so to plug your podcast a little bit, who, who if you had to give someone when they go to either Apple or Spotify or wherever, whatever platform they love, and they say, I want to check out the Jimmy Rex show, what would be a top episode or two that you would suggest? I know there's a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many episodes and, with. you know, it's, it's, there's so many different ones. That Maybe a personal rough. favorite of yours. Um, I did one with Dave Vibora. You probably know Dave. He's, yeah, Dave. He's here we, in we Texas. Were, we were uh, in Colorado all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave's one of my favorite episodes I've ever had. I mean, the, what he did, his story, and me and him just jammed together too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what he's doing for um, people that have lost different limbs and things mm -hmm. like that and the way that he shows he up for people. Kilimanjaro the year you did? He did, yep. Yeah. So that's how I met him. Yeah. I was climbing Kelly. But that was one episode What's this foundation called again? Sticks out. Um, uh Oh my gosh, it just blanked me. I, I'm blinking too, but we both know it. Right. And um, it's an incredible foundation for people who have- Velo oh, oh my gosh, I have- David Verboa. Verboa, yeah. Foundation and- okay. um, Adaptive training. Yes, adaptive training. Yeah, yeah, Wait, yeah, it was yeah. on the tip of my tongue too. No, no, no. yeah. Well, adaptive training foundation, and they give so many- You'll cry if you go watch oh, some yeah. of their videos. Well, dude, we had- So when we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and this is the reason why, you know- Dave's episode means so much to me. I'll tell the story real quick, but um, they bring a, one of the wounded warriors with us to do the hike. I don't know if you guys did as well. Yeah, we had three or four people that had amputee or were okay. amputees, and then uh, three of the four made it up. Yeah, so we had one. His name was Q, and um, and David trained him for six months. And um, you know, going into Mount Kilimanjaro, I was just pumped. I got invited by my buddy Jason Van Camp, who was a commander in the military, special forces, everything. And he's just a close friend of mine. And, and he's like, "Dude, we got all these NFL guys. Um, Rashad Evans was supposed to go. He ended yeah. up uh, canceling last minute, but um, but we. I was just pumped to meet all these NFL guys." And the first day there, I mean, I'm the realtor, dude. Like, it's like we have these special forces military, all these NFL guys and the realtor. And so <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like kind of snuck my way. And I'm pretty good at getting in the room if I want to be there. I just have this way of doing it. And, uh, but anyway, and so the first day we get there, I'm having breakfast with uh, this guy Q, the amputee. And uh, his name was Phil, but he, Quinton, he went by Q. And he's telling me, you know, uh, about his story and, and how he'd been training for six months with Dave and the adaptive training program to, to do this. And, you know, I asked him his why. And he said, well, you know, he said 21 or 22 military people take their lives every day. And mm. a lot of my buddies back home, they just don't have any sense of purpose. He said, I've been suicidal multiple times, almost yeah. killed myself. And I want to prove to them that, you know, there's things that we have worth doing. And I'm like, wow, that's that's a big why. Yeah, it is. And then I'm talking to Dave as we're climbing like day two or something on the mountain, right? Just getting to know him. He was a former linebacker for the Rams and he was just a badass. 
and he's uh, he's telling me about Q because I'm asking him about him, you know. And I said, "How'd you guys train?" And he goes, "Look, man." And he said, "Like two months ago, I got a call from him, middle of the night, from his wife actually, and he had a he had a rifle in his mouth, mm. uh, shotgun in his mouth, and he was about to kill himself." And he said. Uh, he said, dude, uh, he said, we were able to talk him out of it. This is giving him so much purpose. He said, look, he goes, honestly, Jimmy, he goes, if he gets to the top of this mountain, his whole life will open up. He'll be good. He'll be fine. He'll have purpose. He'll know he accomplished it. If he doesn't, he'll be dead in six months. And I'm like, no pressure to get yeah. to the top of the mountain, you know? So I'm like, geez Louise. And so as we're climbing, yeah, we're climbing. Geez Louise. Yeah. I echo that. Yeah. And so as we're climbing, I'm just like watching this dude. And I got so emotional at one point because the last day, you know how hard it is. You wake up yeah. at 11 p.m., you start hiking, you go all through the night. And I watched him fall like 50 or 60 times. Mm. And I mean, he was a full leg amputee. And so he's just really, you know, struggling to get up the mountain. And I watched him crawl at times. I watched him just keep getting back up, keep getting back up. And we got to the fault summit. You know, you get to, yes. it's like- we, we, we got to the fall summit and there was these people from- not the Netherlands, uh, Austria. And uh, they met us and then they go, it's right there. <laughs> and so that fall summit, they set us up saying it was right there. So we all charged to it. Oh no. <laughs> and got there. And then it's like, oh wait, this isn't it at all. Yeah. It's like, we got how much longer to go? That's another hour, hour and yeah, a half yeah, yeah. walking at on least. the rim, basically, mm -hmm. you know, two hours. And so we get to the fault summit and he, I mean, we were a little behind. It was nine in the morning. We were supposed to be there by six or seven in the morning, I think, just because it was taking him longer to get there. And I'll never forget, because we had the guy Orca. I don't know if that's who led your guys mm -hmm. or not. So this was the guide we had. I remember him and Chris are talking and they were talking about Q and they said, look, man, he's, he's given everything. Like he's basically here, we're here, you know, let's send him back. And we actually had one Marine had turned back. I mean, yeah. this is no joke to climb this mountain. Yeah, like, we, had a, we had a Marine and, or a Navy SEAL and a um, uh, NFL player turned back. Yeah, I mean, it's no yeah. joke. It's That's a real, not, yeah. No. Had, there was a guy that was like a ultra marathon runner that they were rushing down the mountain on a cart wow. with like wheels wow. because he was having the like pulmonary yeah. edema or whatever it's When called. it's like altitude gets you, it gets you. you yeah. know, there's nothing you can do. So anyway, so we're sitting there and those two are talking and I, and I'm like listening, I'm like, oh no, like they're gonna send him back down. And I'm like, I'm the realtor, I can't say shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like looking around for Dave, like, I'm like somebody do something. And, uh, and I look at him and I go, I see him and I said, dude, they're trying to send Q down, do something. And he wow. walks up and Dave has this huge presence, you know, and uh, yeah, he does. He walks up and he grabs Q and he goes, listen, motherfucker, <laughs> he goes, you're not done yet. You've got more. We're taking you to the top. You're going all the way to the top. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> and I was just like sitting there. I was like, yes. And we basically carried him as a group. Like, I mean, we just had an arm around him the next two hours and we get him to the top. I have a video of it. It was just like, I get so emotional about it. It was such a beautiful moment. It was, it was like, a, it was like so much was on the line and he, you know, Q was, he wanted to keep going. And those guys, God bless them. They were just trying to make sure he didn't die up there. You yeah, know, yeah, they were just yeah, trying to make sure. sure he's safe. But I was like, I tell that story when I speak sometimes and I say, you know, like, who's your Dave Abora? Who's your guy in your mm. life that's going to step up and make sure you don't quit on yourself and make sure that you push to the end and that cares that much about you. And so that, you know, you know, that story, that, that experience, that's one of my favorite episodes for sure. Yeah. Well, I hope people go check it out and that's a good encouragement for me to get Dave. I'll put a link in the okay, show. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes for yeah, everyone yeah. to go check it out. But yeah, I mean, there's a ton of great yeah. guests. I've had on, you know, Andy Frisella and Prince EA and, um, uh, you know, the who's who of just 
business people, billionaires, athletes, but then also some of my best episodes were buddies that um, were close friends of mine. And they're just, you know, they talk about their trial being suicidal or whatever it might be, just all these different things. There's people that went through just horrible traumas and different stuff and and how they've overcome that. That's a lot of the best stories. We reminded me of a story of one of our guys, Elliot Ruiz, that went up with Chris Long and Nate and, and me and the guys. And dude, he, there's two guys in my life now Man, I didn't think anyone was really going to top like either first MMA, second like um, our well drillers out in in Africa that are doing the hardest backbreaking work I've mm-hmm. ever I've ever seen. But there's there's two stories, and one's Elliot Ruiz climbing Kilimanjaro, and another's uh, a good friend of the show named Chris Murphy who we got to help him restore his smile, and um, he had 19 teeth either completely repaired or replaced wow. and, and surgery. He did it in two days without any pain medication, sitting in the dentist chair for uh, 10 hours at a time. So he gritted it out, like gutted it out. And I was just like, holy smokes, this guy is fighting for a better life, a purpose. Like he had been suicidal and an addiction and all this stuff. But Elliot, I believe his story is three Broadway plays and two of them. The first one was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. And the, oh, wow. the second one won the Pulitzer Prize. And he's got, I've, I don't know all the terminology, but I think shrapnel on, on his body. And, and so his legs, they would like shake when they would get tired and fatigued. And he's literally got metal in his body from, from a, uh, is it an IUD? IUD or something. Yeah. And so, and his cousin, I think is the one that wrote the story on his life. And um, anyways, the way that he gritted it, he just was not, going to stop. And I've never seen someone trembling like this on day three, on day four, on day five. I think it took us eight days up there. Wow. Um, we were went the longest route and we had some uh, guys that, that had uh, mobility issues. And so we were a little slower, but Elliot on the last day. So we were passing a stomach bug around the whole time to each other. And I think it was just Elliot and I that get hit the hardest with it the last day, uh. but it was before we started up the summit. And so we woke up at 11, supposed to start at midnight, and Elliot and I both were hit with vomiting and the other side, like right before we start the climb. So it's him and I and like pulling out the back and, uh, and they're already gone. Like we just see their, their headlamps. You know, we have one of the porters or the guides that are back with us and we're trying to hoof it up there and Elliot is puking. I'm talking basically the whole way up. We start at midnight. We didn't finish till 8 PM us. And, uh, so he's laying on his back, vomiting, laying on his face, vomiting, like like having to pull his pants down, jump behind a rock and or just right there. And when we were up at the top, because it got real cold, I mean, he was having tears like freeze to his face. Wow. And, uh, and they were telling him, turn back. You got to turn back. He's like, you can't tell me to turn back. I'm not stopping. Like, it was just never a doubt in his mind. Like, I'm not stopping. And so that that was on um, that documentary we got to do for NFL oh, Network all awesome. the way up. And I was just like, dude, you are a beast. We have it up here. I think the Los Angeles Times uh, pulled up Elliot and his story. Yeah, he was the, so he was the main character in Kiara Alegria Hudes plays Elliot as soldiers. Fugue, Water by the Spoonful, and The Happiest Song plays Last, which is a trilogy portraying the experiences of him during and after the Iraq War. Wow. Yeah. He's an absolute stud. Well, it's funny that you say that. When I was, when we went to go climb the mountain, 
and this is kind of like how I look at life, but I made the decision before I went, I said, no matter what, I'm not turning back. Yeah. I said, I'm not willing to negotiate with myself because mm. it's going to get brutal. It's going to get hard. And your feet are certainly worse than they ever have. You're frozen. Your heart's pounding out of your chest. Your head's about to explode. And I just had made that decision. Like, they're going to have to carry my dead ass off this mountain <laughs> before mm-hmm. I don't go to the top. And so like, I love that mentality because yeah. if you're sitting there negotiating with yourself all the time, you're going to talk yourself out of it, you yeah. know? And I was like, no, this isn't about a negotiation. Like, this is when I say go, we go and we're going yep. like, and I, I love that though. Yeah, man. That's so good. I, I remember I was, I, I had a fairly easy time, um, until the last day mm. and that last day, you know, waking up at over 15,000 feet, you're already like, feel like a elephant sitting on your chest. Yeah. It's a, and, it's a long day. Yeah. And then you're vomiting on top of it. And my, the way I throw up, Amy, have you heard me throw up? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's loud. Yeah. Oh, you've heard me throw up. Yeah. <laughs> Ayahuasca. Oh, yep. yeah. Uh, you've heard me throw up a lot. I was the first one to go, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I think uh, I would throw up and I I, I barely, for some reason, my, my body doesn't give me much time to inhale. So it's like, and then it's boom again, just another one. And I'm throwing up my toenails and, and it's just, uh, it's violent. And so when you're up at over 15,000 feet or 17,000 feet or 18,000 feet and you're throwing up and then you're not able to get oxygen back. Mm. I mean, I literally felt like, oh my gosh, like worse than any fight, worse than any grappling match, worse than any wrestling match. Like uh, I just couldn't get oxygen. So then I'm thinking like, and I'm not stopping, but like, am I going to pass out? Am yeah. I going to, am I <laughs> like, I'm not getting oxygen into my body when I'm throwing up like this. And uh, it was, it was, yeah, one of the, one of the hardest things that last day. And wow. so me and Elliot were just side by side and uh, it was awesome to see him make it to the top. And in our pictures at the summit, there's one guy that looks like he's, he's dying. Like he's not really there. Like it's, <laughs> it's a ghost of him right there. Yeah. <laughs> he's like astral projected like somewhere else or he's in the shadow realm. And, uh, and he doesn't really remember all of it. I don't think, but just that, that was a learning experience to me. How much more do we have in the tank? Yeah. And then we get uncomfortable or we get insecure or we get down on ourselves about someone or someone else says something that, that kind of hits home, brings up some sort of childhood trauma or inner child wound. Totally. And then, uh, and then we're like, nah, you know, throw in the towel and say, I'll, I'll try something else now, or I'll just, I'll, I'll stop trying this new thing that I really want to do and I'll just concede and I'll. I'll go back to the cubicle or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's part of, you know, like what I talk about in the book is doing these things when you do them and you experience them and you overcome them, right? Then you just, you have a little bit more confidence for the next time and you can draw on those experiences and you can call on yourself. Cause it's like, if you're always used to just stopping or giving up on yourself, or if you've never done hard things, like that's one thing that's so great about sports. Hmm. I mean, wrestling and fighting, I mean, it's you and you, like you either won or you didn't. It's, there's no, you know, it's, you're right there. You're in the fight. Same thing with sports though. And it teaches you how to like do these things. And even if you don't win, there's a sense of accomplishment of, of self-worth that you get from that. Yeah. And it's one of the biggest conflicts I have with how, you know, society is being ran today is we want to give people everything. We want to have these hands. And there's some people that need like help sure. and things like that. But there's a lot of situations where to their detriment, you give them too much and then they don't earn it. And you, what it does is they don't have that self-worth that you can only get from earning something or from accomplishing something. 
And that's what you need to be able to draw on when times get tough or when things get hard. You're like, no, I got this. I already know how to do hard things. That's one of the reasons I like traveling. A lot of times I go by myself even. I just, you have to figure shit out, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, and once you've Problem done it. Solved. Yeah, like people love traveling with me. Make like, new Jimmy's friends. got this. Like yeah. he's, I've been to so many places and experienced so many things. I've been there when they told me my visa was no good and I yeah, figured it out. I've, I've been, there. been there when whatever, you know, and you just mm -hmm. have to wing it and figure it out. But as you do those things, you get confident and you get um, a sense of worth where you're like, okay, I'm the asset. I can do this. I can figure this out. Yeah. You get creative whenever a problem comes <laughs> yeah. up. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month, and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org, join our fight club. So I, I really like what you said there about handouts because our organization, I love Water Boys as well, but our organization, Fight for the Forgotten, really is about not giving handouts, but giving hand ups. Mm. And so how do you, we say opportunities greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just yes. always better. Yes. No matter what. Yes. And so, yes, charity should be given or reserved, maybe even reserved for times of war, famine, natural disaster, people with disabilities who who can't help themselves, yep. but like yep. the Adaptive Training Foundation, you teach them to take the opportunity. And so with specifically water wells and, and traveling, like that's, that's the broken system in the NGOs today is there's over 230,000 broken wells. Yeah. And that's billions of wasted charitable dollars. And that's because the locals weren't empowered or equipped with the tools or educated with the knowledge. And and it's people that just do the show up, blow up, blow like, out technique. Yeah, it's like you want to feel good. So you'd think you're doing something, but at the end, you're not really making a difference. So yeah. it's like, what are you ultimately trying to do? It's not locally affordable. Mm -hmm. They're not locally mobilized. It's not a local led solution for a local problem. Yeah. And so um, anyways, I'm right there with you, man, because you shouldn't, with even with good intention, you shouldn't rob people of the opportunity to have dignity, right? To right. be able well, to be the solution. When I was talking to Dave about this specific thing, when he told me how many ex-military guys commit suicide every day, I was like, holy <sighs> cow, like that's a crazy number. And what he told me is he said, look, they get home and there's like this honor for service people now. There's definitely this respect. Um, and they'll give them tickets to the game. They'll give them discounts, whatever. They're gonna, he said, well, they don't need that. What they need is purpose. He said they need to, They've their job was so important before and they get home and all of a sudden they don't have any purpose anymore. Yeah. And when you don't have a purpose, when you don't feel like you matter, that's when you get to a point of 
you know, where you don't have any purpose for living and you, you can, you know, get to the point of taking your life. And so what, you know, instead of teaching people or giving people, you know, stuff, you teach them ways to create purpose. And I was now, so that Q, when he got home from Mount yeah. Kilimanjaro, for example, he now leads one of the groups at the adaptive training program. And he is That's one of the so instructors awesome. and he's, he's thriving. I talked to him, we had him come speak to my men's group back in, uh, back in April. And he's like the least polished public speaker ever. <laughs> but like every single person Sometimes said it was great. one of his yeah. all time favorite speakers we've had because he's just raw. so raw and like his heart is so beautiful. And But he's helping other men now that were in that same position and it's given him so much purpose for his own life. And I think because he, because he's so passionate about it, he's experienced it, right? He can be that raw and people can instantly, if they've been there, relate. And um, it resonates because um, you're not hearing from a guy that necessarily, I mean, I, I really appreciate people that are, that are trained and that are experts that have some sort of skill, like a doctor, you know, things like that. But if you just have the like head knowledge, uh, it's got to connect to the heart. And sometimes people are too heady and it doesn't impact people's hearts because it's, it's just going in one ear out the other. But whenever you hear someone's gritty story, of like, whoa, this is what he experienced and I felt that way too. Man, that can that can change someone's life. Yeah. That's yep. awesome. Well, Dave or David, I I I'm I'm pumped about him, man, and just the impact he's making. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember him I think it I think it was Q's story. He told me that in Colorado and he was like, I had to go grab him, snatch him up, say, What are you doing? You're <laughs> not doing this. This isn't gonna just hurt you. It's gonna hurt her. It's gonna hurt us. It's gonna hurt everybody. You can't be one of these guys. Like your story's different. And I was just like, Phew, that, that fired me up because I've been there. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so to turn it back to, to you and your story, my man, what has been, because the show's called Overcome, and we basically say, you, me, we've overcome 100% of our darkest days. And how do you, we rise up and overcome? So what's one of those stories where you've had to win this fight called life mm. and rise to the occasion or the challenge or or back from the brink of defeat and overcome. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you a little bit, like when I was a kid, I was, you know, and this was one of the first pivotal moments of my life, but I was, um, baseball was my life. I was a baseball kid. My brother was the two-time state MVP. Our whole family played and everything. And when I was 12, 13, 10, 11, all those years, I was an all-star. And I'll never forget this day. It was when I was 14. Um, it's very pivotal age, you know this, like there's just so much, you're so impressionable at that age, you know? And I remember it was the end of the season, uh, and we were all sitting there, me and all my friends sitting there together, 15, 16 of us. And it was like, we're out the field and it was kind of like a, like a stadium. And so we were all sitting kind of in the front, all the parents and grandparents are sitting behind you and they were out on the field and they would call the kids up one by one who was the all-stars. They were gonna be hanging out all summer, playing together and everything else. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there with all my buddies and they start calling the all-stars and calling them up one by one. And it comes down to, there's like, I'm looking out there and there's five trophies. You know, each kid gets a trophy that makes a team. And I look and there's six of us sitting there and I look down the line and I'm like, oh no, these guys are all better than me. I'm like, I don't think I made the team. And one by one, they called these dudes up until they were all out there on the field. I'm literally sitting there by myself, the wow. only one that didn't get called up, right? And it was this pivotal moment in my life because I'm- What age were you? 14. 14. 
yeah, I was just, I didn't know what to do. I just started crying. You know, I'm just oh. like this. All my friends are out there. I didn't make the team. And to be honest, I wasn't good enough and I didn't work hard enough. And I knew that in that moment. So even as I was, it was the worst I'd ever felt in my entire life, right? I'm just sitting there just like, and I can feel the shame. My parents probably feeling this sorry for me and everybody, all my buddies' parents and all my buddies themselves. And it's just like, you're just sitting there like on an island just by yourself. I'm just crying. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, like, Jimmy, you didn't work hard enough. Like you will never feel like this again because you were outworked by other people. And that was like the day I became an achiever, right? And I, I associated, I needed to be good enough to be accepted with my friends. I wouldn't be able to hang out if I wasn't good enough. And so unfortunately I created this person that was always trying to prove himself and always trying to be enough, which has its positives and negatives. I became right. a, you know, excellent at all these things I did but I was doing it out of this place of fear of not being loved maybe. And so it wasn't until several, several years later, well, in that same year, my father, he wanted me to get held back a year in school. And I was one of the older kids. I was one of the smarter kids. I had a good group of friends, but he wanted me to get held back because he saw this pain I'd had like of not being on the baseball team. And and he wanted you know me to be the star player. And he thought if I got held back a year that I would uh, be able to be a star. And so he's like, Hey, Crush let's, it. let's hold you back a year. You'll be yeah. the oldest kid. And he put a lot of pressure on me to do it. And ultimately I remember I was sitting in his truck. I was 14 years old again, cause you have to do it in eighth grade. And, uh, and I looked at him and said, dad, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to get held back. And he's like, okay, well, just so you know, you're not good enough. You'll never play again. And I know now the power of words and affirmations yeah. and all the way we, so I wrote under my hat for three years that said, you're not good enough. I was trying to wow. prove, like that was my motivation to prove to myself that I was going to prove to my dad I was good enough. And, but to, so anyway, so I hadn't thought of this hat for like 15 years, right? And I, my first day I ever did plant medicine, my first time, my first night I ever did it, about halfway through the night I saw my hat. And what was it? It was, it just mushrooms said, or something? Uh, it was, it was, or, it was a, it was, it was a heart opener with some mushrooms and different things like that. Yeah, psilocybin. Okay. And I'm sitting there and I look at my hat and it says, you're not good enough. And now that I know, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do to myself? Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that hat in 15, 20 years, but I'm like, oh my gosh. And it hit me and it just, I had this message, you know, how you get them in, in journeys. And it was just like, Jimmy, this has served you. It no longer does. Mm. Let it go. And I was like, wow. And I loved the message. It said, this has served you. It no longer does. And so I was able to kind of like realize in that moment, like, oh, you're just enough. And then it was like, the next message was now go release your dad. He has pain around this too. Mm. And so I actually called my dad. I, first time I've ever been high in my life. I'm calling my dad. <laughs> <laughs> my super Mormon dad, by the way. And, uh, you know, and I call him up. It was like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, hey, I just, dad, I just want to talk to you for a second. I said, and he'd had a lot of pain. He'd been, made some decisions and he wasn't really part of the family the last 10 years as much as he wanted to be. And, and me and him had kind of repaired our relationship a little bit, but it was still kind of, eh. and uh, I just said, dad, I, I know you beat yourself up a lot over the things you did wrong, but I want you to know, like, I love my life, dad. I, I really am grateful for the life I have. I have a beautiful life. And a lot of that is because of the way you raised me. I said, so if you're gonna keep beating yourself up over the things you did wrong, you need to give yourself credit for everything you did right. Wow. And he just started crying, you know, he's lost. He's like, wow, it's, he's like, I tried my best. I'm like, I know dad, and it was beautiful, you know? And he, I was like, I love you. And it just healed everything. That was my very first time ever doing plant medicine. I'm like, well, this is gonna be 
a part of my life forever. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a beautiful moment. But my point of telling that whole story was I had kind of become this guy that I was seeking validation so much and trying to prove myself in everything that I did that I couldn't just be me. I couldn't just enjoy it. I couldn't just relax and feel like I was enough. And so for me, a lot of my youth, a lot of what I you know had to deal with was more so an internal battle going on. Whereas like I had a lot of success in every way, but it was always this emptiness of like, I couldn't feel like I was um, worthy of it or enough or whatever else. And so that really was, I actually have the tattoo of that date on my finger, um, wow. December 7th, 2018, because it was such a profound moment. But uh, it was just a life-changing moment for me. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's powerful because I've, I've definitely struggled with the feeling of, I was told in a moment and we're going to do your show as well, but it was, it was basically I was told you're not good enough yeah. and um, you're worthless. You should just kill yourself. And that thing has been on repeat in my mind. Anytime that I feel like I stumble and fail or let someone down, it's like, Oh, I know what to do here. <laughs> you know, you're not good enough. Yeah. You're worthless. You should just kill yourself. And I've had a lot of freedom from that in the last year. Um, especially the last eight months, but, uh, it's really profound that you were able to replace that with, I am good enough. Yeah. I've, I'm making these special edition hats for my, my men's group and they're going to, cause everyone, a lot of people know that story. I've shared it with my guys and stuff. And it's going to say you're good enough and it's going to oh. be on the bottom of the hat. That's really great. Yeah. I love that. I came up with that the other day. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, maybe we can get two I got as you. well. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, um, what's your men's group? Uh, it's called We Are and the Hey, day. brother, I just want to acknowledge, I love you, man. I love your heart. Thank you. And um, I can see it in your eyes. You're just, you are a big, joyful lover. Like you love, you love big. Thank you, man. No, I, I do. I, I I really love being able to be me, man. I My life is blessed and it's, I've, I do, I have a big heart. I And I'm willing to give myself grace. I screw up all the time, right? And I just have lucky enough that I'm, I'm, I understand my own. So I think God has this like beautiful sense of humor. And I think he literally just is up there laughing. Like, you're not gonna believe what this dumb shit Jimmy did today. And he just laughs about it and he loves it. And I'm like, if God can laugh at me, I can laugh at me. And I, I try to share what I can and just don't take it too serious. And it creates a beautiful life, honestly. And so I, uh, I just try to, like I said, my mission statement, just try to share love with everybody and yeah. create those moments, you know? Can I ask a question? You bet. Since you brought up mission statement too, I noticed it's on your website as well. And do you encourage other people to write a mission statement? When did you write this or did it evolve over time? Because I know I've written one. Justin pretty much has. I mean, you definitely did for this show. Yeah. But I don't know if you have one for your life. But anyway, I'm can curious you, about can that. You, when it, as Jimmy gets ready to answer this question, can you read it one more time for the listeners, his, his mission his? statement? Well, he rattled it off perfectly. Well, I, so. I repeat it every day multiple times, so I can, uh, I can rattle it off at any time. That's but, really cool. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. You can so, say it again. The purpose of my life is to share my tremendous love with all of God's children, bringing happiness to others through my playful soul and by being an example of living an extraordinary life. Wow. Yeah. And so I, so to answer your question, so I was, I grew up super Mormon and when I was 32 about, um, I started questioning some things, left that religion. And I, I mean, and how when, old are you now? Jimmy? I'm 40, 40. Yeah. But when you're that religious, I mean, I went and did the mission. I was a virgin in my thirties, didn't drink alcohol till my mid thirties. Like, I mean, I was a damn good Mormon. <laughs> and so when you, you know, when you know where you're from, why you're here, where you're going, what's right, what's wrong, all, everything's kind of mapped out for you. Um, things are pretty easy. You don't really have much to think about, right? But when all of a sudden you take that all off the table, you're kind of lost. You're kind of like, and I don't even know if most people that 
like I've left that religion, but I wouldn't want most of my family and friends to because it's very difficult. There's just so it leaves you with such a hard area to fulfill or to fill up at that point. And so for me, I had about this four month period where I was really struggling to figure out what my life was going to be about. I actually went to a Tony Robbins event, the date with destiny event. Mm -hmm. And in that event, um, you spend a week coming up with your life's purpose and some of that stuff. So it's all part of that. I came up with it in that week, but I took it very serious. Um, really spent, I mean, probably spent 20 hours on just that life's purpose because he takes you back to your youth he goes through this whole thing of all of your past then he goes through this whole thing envisioning your future what you stand for all your value systems what you're going towards what you're going against all these different things and you put that all together and then you kind of can figure out what you want your life to look like and so it's a six-day process that i think everybody should do but um yeah so for me it was going to that date with destiny cool yeah it's mm. um, really good yeah, I was, can't remember what I was going to say before that. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, in. I interrupted it. No, 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 it's all good. But anyways. I interrupted too. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's important for people to know that. But I do encourage everybody to figure that out because it's just be a guiding principle, right? It, for me, it actually guides me much more clear than when I had all of this morals and morality around religion figured out for me. Like that was mm. still kind of like, those weren't mine. Those weren't emotional. Those weren't, I didn't, that was just something that was put on me, right? Like I believed that since I was born because that was what it was installed in me. But when I came up with this for mine, from my heart, from my soul, it was like, oh, I know exactly this. This is my thing. And it just gave me a lot more um, clarity on how I was going to live. I love that. If I had to rattle off some, I should, I should actually write it down, but I think I'm supposed to just put love and compassion in action and, and fight for people to fighting to help people build better lives and to basically with fight for the forgotten, overcome oppression with overwhelming opportunity and mm. defend the weak, love the unloved and empower the voiceless and, and things like that. But I think I need more in there about who I am and what I am to do or, or be. And, um, yeah, I love this conversation because it's not like, hey, hey, bro, what do you do? It's like, <laughs> right. who are you, man? Yeah. And, and you're telling us. Well, it's funny because like I can't do surface conversations anymore. Yeah. I, I, I've gotten so much depth and doing plant medicine journeys and stuff is, you know, you get really deep. You go into the real stuff. And it's like after having so many deep conversations with friends, I just want nothing to do with a bullshit service conversation. Yeah. Like, you know, when people are having that mask on and, um, you know, it's. It's like, no, let's get real with each other. Let's, yeah. If we want to connect, let's actually connect. And I had a life coach that is still with me to this day. She's actually joined my men's group. She helps with the one-on-one -on -one coaching now with the guys. But she, um, she told me very early on, she said, Jimmy, you're most lovable when you're vulnerable, authentic, and in integrity. And so those are three pillars of our program is vulnerable, authentic, and integrity. And obviously you want to be vulnerable with the right people. But when you actually express vulnerability, when you talk about, you know, um, things that maybe you're scared about or you're not sure about, um, we're so scared that people will judge us or they won't like us. And what happens is they just love you so much more. Mm. Uh, you know, I was with somebody the other day and they were struggling with something and they were, I could tell they were a little bit apprehensive to to go into it more, but they wanted to. And I said, hey, would it help if I told you something that I'm a little bit like scared about right now, like feeling a little vulnerable about. And I told something that I hadn't told anybody. It was pretty vulnerable. And she's like, wow, like, I'm glad you shared that. Like, I wouldn't even have thought that. And she, and then she opened up, you know, a lot more. And 
Um, and it was cool as we were able to connect on such a deeper level um, because I was willing to be vulnerable. Because, you know, some people might be like, oh, Jimmy's got his shit all figured out and he never has any problems or anything. It's like, that that's not relatable. Like my guys see me struggling. They see me go through things and they're so much more prone to want to open up themselves at that point. And so it really is a superpower if you can get yourself to that point where you're just willing to be real and, and be vulnerable yeah. with people. So to be the hero of your own story, uh, a key factor in that is to learn to be vulnerable in the right times because vulnerability isn't weakness, it's strength, strength it's yeah, courage, it is. and um, living authentically to, so that you're not hiding in the shadows. Yeah, when you do this like, so great, you know, your story, you're very open about it, and it's it, mm -hmm. it helps so many people. It's why it resonates, because you're being so vulnerable. You're willing to go, yeah, this this tore my soul out. This killed me, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, this was really hard on me. And like, well, when thanks. I listened to your story, like, I was getting chucked up. I'm like, man, like from both angles, I'm like, man, I I remember when I was a kid and I got picked on for some stuff. And then I'm like, shit, I remember when I was kind of addicted to some people when I was younger mm. too. And I was like, both things got me emotional. Like, damn it, you know, like, I mean, I'm a human, but you're like, but because you're willing to do that, you connect with that person, then you're like, wow, I wanna be more like him. I wanna help more people like that. Wow, well, thank you. I, I, that, that honors me, I'm humbled. And, but I, it's something that has been brought up in this conversation where maybe I have the opportunity to be vulnerable. Um, I, uh, you're talking about your journey, leaving the Mormon faith at 32, going on this eight year journey. Um, and then through plant medicine and, you know, we met, uh, at ayahuasca ceremony with a lot of great people, but the only one I've really stayed in contact with is Drew, mm -hmm. uh, Drew McManus or Satsung. Yeah. And I think it's because I have a lot of shame wrapped around it. And while I was there, it probably seemed, uh, or I was probably perceived as having a really powerful, profound, really good experience. Um, but what I learned real quickly after was that I was chasing an experience and I was, um, and for me, it wasn't medicine, it was drugs. Mm. And uh, ayahuasca was a drug to me then. Um, and so I don't know if I'll ever have the opportunity to do it again. In this moment, I think no, because uh, I am someone with addiction. Right. And so I think I came under a, it hoping for a magic pill or a magic potion um, that was going to cure my addiction. I was looking for the quick fix, um, thinking that, uh, and it wasn't being advertised from this group as healing people of addiction, but it was trauma sure. and inner child wounds. And we're going to go deep and we're going to have these profound experiences and you're going to meet God, be touched by the spirit. Like just some, some, and it was these epic, profound, amazing humans that I was there with, but very shortly after, like a day after, and then for like a week, um, you know, I went through the one of the deepest, darkest moments of my life. And I just disappeared on everybody, on Amy, on the people there that were filming, on uh, our experiences, um, on you guys. And I've been, I've been very hesitant to have any communication because, because I feel like I hurt myself. I hurt Amy. I hurt, um, and you know, my rational mind are being vulnerable now. It's like, if I told the people that were all there, Hey guys, that was the darkest week of my life after that. Um, they'd probably be like, Oh my gosh, we love you. Like we support you, all this stuff. But anyways, I think that it's an opportunity you being here that like, I could even share that with, with the group. Well, dude, or, like it, that, like 
gets me a little emotional because so many people that come to me are trying to get that quick fix. They're trying yeah. to get the magic pill. And it's, it's hard for me to explain to them, that's not what this is. And if mm. you go in looking for that, it's gonna be really hard. So hearing you say that, just you opening up about that, you're going to help people not have that same experience that you yeah. had. Because that's the beauty of vulnerability, right? Like you now sharing that, I promise you, there's going to be people that like, it will help so much because they'll be like, oh, this doesn't always, and I've tried to explain to people, they like, you know, they want more medicine or more experiences. And I'm like, no, that's not it guys. Like this is simply a tool to help you get to a spot to integrate that into your life or to work on that. But um, so many people hear the magical, and my experiences are pretty magical to be honest in ayahuasca, but you sharing that and you being vulnerable, like it does make you so much more easy to talk to and so much more lovable and so much more relatable. And that's the beauty of vulnerability again. Well, thanks. I think, so I went to treatment probably a year before that experience because I was April, so 2020. And then, uh, or May of 2020 through August, so 90 days. And then um, then I tried some plant medicine, I had powerful, profound experiences. So, so spiritual experiences. And then after that, like it started a dark spiral. Not that I wasn't already there, but it was a darker, deeper, faster spiral. And then I had to go to treatment again. Mm -hmm. um, and really grateful for the treatment and the experiences uh, I'd, I'd gone through, at least, I mean, to get me to the point where I'm now, where I'm in the most love I've ever been with life and with Amy and, and other things. But I, I, um, I would say that there's a, there's a danger in it. Um, there's so much good, yeah. but I think it has to be the right place, right set, right setting, sure. all that stuff, but also like the right heart, like coming into it with the right heart. And I fooled myself thinking I had the right heart and the right intentions and doing it for the right reasons. Um, and there's places here, man, in Austin that are like, quote unquote, sober living homes um, that while guys come out of treatment, they're just taking them on all these journeys mm -hmm. from MDMA to ayahuasca to uh, Iboga to um, Bufo Bo, to everything. And I literally know someone on the inside there and they go, dude, I think we have a 0% success rate. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that's because you guys are taking real deal addicts and alcoholics that when a substance is introduced to their body, yes, it can address trauma and they might get some, some freedom from that trauma. But I think biologically it's setting off an allergy or a mental obsession, a, a, a physical reaction to a, a physical substance. And so for me, where I'm sitting at now, and I just want to help someone out there that's thinking ayahuasca is the answer. This plant medicine is the answer. If you're actually dealing with addiction, actual real addiction, I think it's, um, I don't think another drug fixes a drug problem. Yeah. And so you really have to do the deep internal work. There, there might be some cases that, you know, like going through opiate heroin withdrawal and Iboga gets you off of that and sets you off. But then you probably need to go to a real deal treatment center for, for 90 days. Yeah. It's the work that you um, do, you know, when you're not on the medicine that really is going to make the difference or yeah. not. And if you have the addiction issues, you know, it's the success rate probably is going to be pretty low. I mean, I think, I think trauma and healing and inner child stuff and, um, and just, if you don't have actual addiction, man, I would say, tell everybody go, Totally. No, not everybody, but you no, should no, try. I'm, I'm the biggest advocate for it. I'm I mean, an advocate. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Now, now, <laughs> now, I'm an advocate because of how good the experiences were. But if you're like me yeah. and you're an actual addict, 
um, then then I, w- I would suggest against it. Well, cool or sometimes you need the experience so that you know. Uh, Amy's pointed that out to me before. Sure. That if I didn't do it, um, I would always wonder. Well, and I'm kind of over here sitting there thinking the same thing. Like that probably still worked for you. It yeah. did. Right? It did. Like as for much sure. as that sucked, yeah. that was probably right. working for you. But at the end of the day, you know, you're smart enough and you are uh, have enough emotional intelligence to tell, okay, this wasn't like, I know what this was and I know what it wasn't. And yeah. you were able to pull back from needing that, you know? Yeah. And, and I am grateful I had the experience because there was some powerful, I've learned. Well, I'm grateful because we met each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See there? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I needed it because this mm-hmm. conversation is happening. Exactly. And uh, you're really blessing me and, and our listeners and Amy uh, today, my man. So, I mean, there's so much stuff we could talk about and your story, but I wonder about leaving the conditioning of, of your youth, your whole life, yeah. 32 years. You say you were a virgin into your thirties. Yeah. That's not I everyone's did the damn story, thing, right? Man. Yeah. No, I was, yeah. I was very, and I'd, I'd been on, um, I actually am writing a book right now. Um, and it's my journey to self love and it's all through my dating and my relationship lives and all that. And it's called, it was me all along what I learned about love after a thousand first dates. And wow. yeah, it's a badass title, but I've literally, <laughs> I've literally, props there. Thanks. yeah, yeah. You say it one more time for people that missed it. Yeah, yeah. It was me all along what I learned about love after a thousand first dates. Wow. And I'm, Oof. I've, I've been on about 1200 first dates in my life. I mean, I chased love so hard and I, I grew up in my entire twenties. I'd go on three or four dates a week. Um, and I never connected with any of these women, any of these girls. And it was, you know, I was dating what I thought I should be versus what my soul was telling to me. And thankfully I'm kind of a stubborn ass. And so I never just settled into one of these relationships, but there was a lot of pressure on me to get married, to live a certain way. And I just, I'm so grateful. I just always listened to my soul and listened to my heart. But anyway, I tell that story because yeah, I mean, I was all in, like it was everything in my life till it was nothing basically. You know, it wasn't just this casual thing that I did. But it is, I mean, it's fascinating to look back because you're, and if somebody hasn't experienced it, you you don't understand because it's like your whole world is this and it's everything. And then all of a sudden you have to, it's almost like a death. You strip away everything you've thought, everything that you believed. And it's just a fascinating experience to go through. Yeah. And so in that, you're overcoming that, but also um, losing a sense of self or identity. Yeah. And then you're going on a whole new journey, but I think you're sitting in a really unique place, man. All of us are unique. Anyone hearing this now, like we're all unique, but your experience is super unique where you go from Mormonism, hardcore, to even a like bunch of plant medicine journeys, or not a bunch, but, but powerful ones that change the trajectory of your life and still in your mission statement <clears throat> is to love all God's children. Yeah. And so how do you, how have how has that journey been for you where super religious in one way now trying something really outside the box in our culture not in like south american culture or even africa where they they do the sure. and everything else i began but but still pointing it back to you your tremendous love loving god's children yeah and a couple of things i mean i had um i you know even though i was a very religious household and it was very strict rules and things like that like my parents let me be me um, okay. which was really cool. Yeah, they were really good. At, maybe they didn't have time to with seven kids to <laughs> do anything different. No, they were really good at just, you know, they found the humor in even my 
idiocy and things I would do. But so I think one thing was, is I always felt like I could be myself. I had, I gave myself permission to be curious, to go and try different things, right? Even within those boundaries of the church for a while. And then stepping out, like, I mean, it was so foreign for me to even take that first step. But I did have a couple experiences. Like I had an experience. I'll tell you this experience real quick, because this is where I kept my faith in God. Because when I lost my faith in the church and everything else, like, I, I mean, for a while, Jesus was up in the air, what he was and everything to me and all these other things. The one thing I knew was that there's a higher power, like there is a God and he loves purely. And what had happened is, so when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, my father had come out and just... Uh, admitted to our family that he'd been cheating on my mom for 20 years. And, you know, in, in a Mormon household where you got rules and everything, I mean, it was like the roof getting blown off the he house. He told everybody? Yeah. yeah, he just wanted to get it off his chest. He wanted to finally come clean and we didn't catch him. He just, he decided it was time to tell everybody. And, and I mean, it was crazy, right? And our family's just kind of like, what do we do with this? Did your mom have any idea? No, oh. no, it was bad. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was bad, bad moments, right? And and you're trying to work through that. And so for the Not next- to ask too many questions. Was no, it the you same, same woman for 20 years? No, or? different. Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't like continuous, but like okay. the first time it had been 20 years ago. And then the last one had been a few months ago. And so it, it was like on and off for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And and by the way, life is nuanced, right? Like yeah. I can look at now and see different things. But my point was at that time, so for six months, we're trying to figure it out. And then I went on my mission. I went on a Mormon mission. So I was gone for two years. And you don't talk to your family. How old are you now? 19. 19. Yeah. So this was during my senior year. And then six You're months later. You're rocked by that news six yes, months later. Yeah. And so when I leave, my family's in like total disarray, right? But was a gift because to be honest, I didn't have to be there for the chaos. And because you only for talk- For two years? For two yeah. years. No. You only talk to them on Mother's Day and Christmas. And I mean, you're writing letters, but I'm in Mexico. It's taken three months to go back and forth on a letter, you know? So it's like, there's nothing urgent going on in my world. I'm just like, was able to forget about it. But I get back and it's still chaotic. My parents are separating. They're trying to figure it out. And for a few years, they tried to work it out. And then they decide they're going to get a divorce. Well, their church leader tells them, look, instead of getting divorced, why don't you guys go on a mission? And so, <laughs> which is funny. And so they decided to go on a mission. They called the Disney World of all places. Of course, my parents, I wanted them to go to like Africa or some shit where they'd have to they suffer. They went you to know? Disney World? Yeah, like literally Orlando, Florida, you know, like they're- There's a mission to Disney World. Well, it's Orlando, yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. they're basically going to yeah, Disney World yeah. and SeaWorld and shit, you know? And uh, so they go out there and they have the time in their lives. And here's the problem is like my dad, after he, he had come out and, you know, and talked about what he'd done, like he kind of lost that patriarchy of the house. He lost the respect of, you know, he's like trying to tell me what to do. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't how this is going to go anymore. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but on his mission, my dad's a very charismatic guy. 95% of the time, he's just such a good dude. And, and he had huge success as a missionary, helping people come back to church, helping and him and my mom apparently had a great time. Well, it came back time to come home. And my mom wanted to be around the kids and grandkids. She wanted to be back in Utah. My dad got so much, um, significance and you know love being a missionary because everyone there loved him he brought so many people back to church and he wanted to stay out there and my mom was like no we're going to utah and, and anyway long story short he ended up going out there to set up a company and ended up cheating on my mom again um with somebody that he'd met while he was a missionary and stuff and so it was like at that point we as a family were like mom you're done with dad this thing's over like you're getting a divorce and you know it's terrible and and I didn't, I, when I called my dad to ask him about it, he lied to me. And so at that point, I just said, you know, I'm not going to talk to my dad ever again. Like, I don't need to, I'm done with him. And so for two and a half years, I was 25, 26 years old, 27 years old, I didn't talk to my dad. And, but I like, I like still loved him. I still had all these great memories and I had a happy childhood for the most part. And so I was kind of just conflicted. And so I was praying to like, 
be able to love my dad again. That was basically my prayer. And one day I had this feeling I should call my dad after two and a half years. And so I call him up and I'm just like, hey, dad, um, you want to go to lunch? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to, of course. And, uh, and again, I've been praying to like, help me love my dad again. And I walk into this Paradise Bakery and I see my dad sitting there and I just had this most overwhelming feeling of love like I never have in my life for another human, for my dad. And I had this message that was, I'm gonna show you how I love your dad. It was like the love of God. It was so pure and beautiful. And I'm just like, holy shit. And it was like, if God can love this way, I can love this way. And so me and my dad repaired stuff there. And, you know, and, and I just knew at that moment, God loves us so pure and so beautifully. And it's like, he was able to show me like, your dad is a broken man, but you don't have to have this expectation of him to be perfect. Like, just love him. He doesn't need you to judge him, just love him. And it was like, wow. So when I lost my faith, I had this experience and I was like, okay, well, I know there's a God and I know he loves me. And like that alone was enough of a base for me. And it was so profound to me that I was able to just really just cling to that. Like there is a higher power, there's a source, there's a God and he loves the shit out of me. And um, and that was what I kind of <laughs> had. And so when I started reconstructing what I was going to do with my life, right? Like that was, I did have that strong base. And I think that to answer your question goes into my mission statement a little bit um, of how I was able to then pivot. And I think for me, and you can't even help it. Like when you're in a church or a religion like that, there's so many rules and there's so many, so much is right and wrong. It's like, this is right, this is wrong. And so you judge a lot and you don't even mean to, right? Like I remember for me, I was, God, I was so, so judgmental. And I remember I would judge people. Like if I'd walk into someone's house and they had alcohol displayed, like I was out. I'm like, well, the Holy Spirit isn't here. I'm gone. You know? <laughs> and, and like, I'd always judge people for hand tattoos too. And so I actually have some hand tattoos now. It's my way of like, <laughs> putting myself into that non-judgmental place. And then I have yeah. a tequila collection displayed in my house. <laughs> but um, but so for me, um, uh, the difference between being in where I was then and where I am now is when I was in the church, I really cared what people were doing. And I've changed my entire focus to how people are doing. Mm. And that's made all the difference for me. Wow. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so what is it like with you know, eight years looking back and what was at 32 years old or 31 years old, maybe like your relationship with God or your understanding of, and now 40, at 40 years old, like yeah. kind of the, just kind of the difference, which. Yeah. I think the biggest difference too is understanding like God. So like there's, if you've ever seen the play, the book of Mormon, and it's pretty popular. So they talk, so they talk, there's a song and it talks about scary Mormon God. Um, and it's a real thing. It's like, you basically, it's like, you do this or you're punished and all these things. And there's, you know, it's just, there's a lot of punishment. Like I remember when I, the first time I, you know, put my, you know, went to second base with a girl, like, you know, the, I'm sitting across from the bishop and he's like, God will not be mocked, Jimmy. You have to have this counsel. And like, so, <laughs> shit, I just, you know, screwed up at a moment of weakness, but okay. For touching boobs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. You can you can get in some real trouble. And the true story is... <laughs> I mean, the first time I put my hand down a girl's pants, I mean, I was 20 something and I felt so terrible. I thought I was going to like, oh, I literally, this is a true this story. My heart. This is a true, I know. Yeah. I've worked through all my sexual trauma. Don't worry That's about great. it. That's great. I'm not <laughs> but worried. About I you. literally, Just yeah, no, people, it's, it's true. That's why I share it because I want other people that are feeling these things to be able to have a place to go, wow, okay, like this, yeah. Yeah, I'm not crazy. But I literally went home that night 
on my way home from the girl's house, I called my bishop. It was like one in the morning because I didn't want to crash and die before I had a chance to repent of it so that I wouldn't like <laughs> go to burn. <laughs> and maybe that was like extreme, but in my mind, that was my reality, right? Mm. Because I mean, I literally was like, I can't risk this. I don't want to, I know, God bless me. I was a saint. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, but so I think like, I used to have this idea of like, we. it's almost like you have to earn heaven. Like mm. and the problem with, the, the whole problem that I've kind deeds, of, right? yeah, the whole problem, the, my whole problem with the Mormon church at this point, and, and again, it's like, I have so much love for it because it helped create me and I love who I am. So I actually really honor my heritage yeah. and, and everything that it was like, I, yeah, I give okay. a lot of credit to it. Um, but the biggest problem is by its very nature, it needs you to feel broken so that you need it. Hmm. And like, I don't like, I don't refer to Christ as my savior. I don't think I need to be saved in that way in the sense that like it, without him, I'm screwed. Like, I think God's, if God's a perfect human or perfect, whatever God is, um, all knowing, all powerful, all loving, then you can't earn more of God's love. You can't screw it up. You can't earn more. You just are loved perfectly because God is perfect. And that's my belief around love. Now, I think that we can by the karma of the energy of the universe, whatever we put out, we're going to get more of. I think in some way or shape, whatever we do, whatever good we put out, we'll, it'll find us somehow or whatever bad we put out, it'll come back and find us somehow. But I believe that like God, we can't screw it up. So God just loves us. And when you know that you're loved, that you're enough, you don't have to earn it. You can mm. screw up. It just changes everything as far as how you live your life. And so it's I free. now, yeah. And so like now, like I said, I don't beat myself up. I don't have these weird thoughts or feelings if I, you know, do something that was less than ideal and, and I can give myself grace and, and, but yet I want more than ever to just love and do good. And it's not out of a place of fear. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do good out of fear. I want to do good out of love. Yeah. It's not even out of <clears throat> maybe even thinking about missions, you know, it's not out of duty. It's out of desire and delight right. where it's like, I want to do this. Right. And that's, that's so cool. Um, well, to so that I can honor uh, even plant medicine because uh, it has done good things in my life. What would be an experience? Um, this will be, we'll, we'll kind of maybe wrap up and close with this because uh, I want to honor your time too. And, and I want and him to talk show. more about his shirt though and the we are the thing. Oh, I do. So we'll end with that. But yeah. cool. with plant medicine, what's something either you've been revealed about, uh, about the divine or God and time Um or whatever you want. I'll give you a good one. It was that night you were there in ayahuasca. I had yeah. a really profound experience. Um, so I, I have a buddy and he was like, hey, when I do plant medicine, I like to close my eyes and try to go have a conversation with Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's wow. cool. I'm going to try to do that. And so I did. And I'll be damned. I was like sitting at this river and it was like me and Jesus, I could see his mouth moving like I'm talking to you. And it was like, I think that God speaks to us through whatever source we're willing to accept the information. I don't know if that's what it was I or whatever. pop culture in mind. So yeah, like, fair oh, enough. Like it. whatever it is. <laughs> but, but I'm sitting there and... I remember having the profound thought. I'm like, Jesus is shorter than I thought, but it was like, it was that real. Like it was yeah. very, like, I was there. It wasn't a prayer. Like I was there with him and I was had thoughts as he was speaking. And, um, at one point I'd, I'd been working so hard on this self-love journey. And, um, and there was a, well, and first I'll say this, like, so my first part of the conversation with Jesus, I, I asked him about this woman that I'd been hanging out with. I said, Hey, is this, should I pursue this? You know, is this something I should go after? And he looks at me and he goes, and I'll never forget it, it was the look in his face. He just is like, I don't know. Is that what you want? And then he goes, Jimmy, you haven't manifested it. And then he goes, you get everything that you manifest. 
everything. He goes, in fact, you've never manifested it with a woman. So as soon as you're ready, just manifest it. And I was just wow. like, that's kind of the whole knock and you shall receive. But it was just like, holy shit, that's really profound. And I was like laughing to myself. I'm like, yeah, I don't want it with that girl. I'm like, shoot, I haven't ever manifested it, you know? <laughs> so that was one really profound moment um, in that ayahuasca that I thought was just like so cool. And so actually this cross tattoo on my other finger is to remind me of that conversation with Jesus, mm. that I get everything I manifest. That's what that means to me. Wow. And so, yeah, plus it's super taboo to have a cross finger on your Mormon hand. So that was <laughs> kind of a fun way for me to do that. It's just a, no. I love you, man. I know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was one that I think stands out to me. We are the they. Yep. And um, can you riff on that a bit? Yeah. Yeah. I love to tell this story. So I had the opportunity five, six years ago to work Amy's with- going to pull that up to work, yeah. for everyone watching. work with a group called uh, Operation Underground Railroad. And mm, we would go undercover. Goodness. We talked about this this morning. Really? Yeah, we did. Wow. Yeah. So go I went ahead. on, I went on about 11, 12 ops with them. I um, was able to rescue over a hundred kids and take down over 35 traffickers. And, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so when I was doing those ops, we would go undercover this particular op was prior most dangerous one. And we got back and my girlfriend, you know, picked me up from the airport and we're driving home. And I start telling her the story. I mean, it was scary. The, I mean, these guys had, you know, uh, they were a very evil organization. This was the only one of all the takedowns I did where it was like a full on organization around it. And she pulls over the car and she goes, hey, look, like, I don't want you to do this anymore. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? This is part of my like life's mission now. And she goes, I know, but like it's super dangerous. It's a bad environment. I just don't want you to go. I was like, I know, but like this is, I'm called to do this. And she goes, I know, but why can't they just go do it? And without even thinking, I go, there is no they, we are the they. And when I said that, I was like, oh shit, mm. <laughs> that's good. That's gonna be a motto for life. And so it's, you know, the whole, I got it tattooed on my arm as my first ever tattoo. And it's been my motto ever since. And so the whole premise is, you know, again, like we don't wait for other people to step up. Like when there's something needs to be done, like we just step in and we do it. We are mm. the they. Wow. Yeah. And so when I started my coaching program, um, you know, the obvious name to me was, I wanted to do something with this to brand it, to, to have it. And so when I launched it, um, uh, that was the obvious name. We are the they. Yeah. And so uh, there's been people that have told me numerous times and I think have wanted to connect me and Tim uh, Ballard, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yep. um, you know, through Five for the Forgotten, we've seen like 1,651 people transition out of slavery and into wow. freedom. And, and it's been incredible. Um, but today I woke up and I did the silly thing, like look at Instagram in the morning and... Tim had posted a video. I don't know if you saw it today, but um, I didn't see it today. Oh he my posted gosh. something yesterday with like Mel Gibson and was helping him with something. It was yeah, cool. yeah. But today he posted something, and he's the founder of uh, our yep oh, rescue. Oh yeah, our Underground Railroad Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, yeah, Operation. Yeah, Operation. And so, um, sorry, I'm, I just have the images in my head. I'm surprised that it was allowed to be even posted. That's what Amy said. Um, but it's important for it to be posted. Um, and I think this was with with the Nazarene fund that he does mm -hmm. also, mm -hmm. but it was, uh, somewhere in Africa, I believe. And it was called a baby factory. Oh no. And it had literally body parts, um, just everywhere in this building, just piled up legs, arms, torsos, and they were doing organ harvesting and they were able to go in there and take it out, take them down and like defeat this bad group that was like doing organ harvesting, sending stuff all around the world, wow. but also with child trafficking and things. 
And it's like, oh, man, like uh, that is a calling, like what you said. Well, dude, I'll, I'll put you on it's a text important. as soon as we're done with him and you guys can connect. You guys need, wow. to, need to connect, yeah? There's no yeah. accidents like that, so. Yeah, I would, and and you having known him and, and been on there, yeah, yeah. close friend. Yeah. Um, and he has a Mormon background as well, He's still right? very active in the still church. Very, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, man, doing such great things. He's amazing, yeah. No, I, there's a few organizations in Utah that have really taken to that cause, and I got a chance to work with all of them, you know, with OUR, and there's one called the Child oh, yeah. Liberation Foundation, the Nazarene Fund, some of these other groups, and um, it's been, you know, it's been a special thing to be able to be a part of. I mean, you can't go on those ops and it doesn't change you, you know? And, yeah. So. Well, no, just with time. But the, the one thing I would ask is what was, what was the story from one of these ops? Um, that was meaningful to you or, or to someone you helped? Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, they're all special in their own way. Um, there was one in particular, we went, it was the one I was telling that girl about in my truck, but we were in somewhere in Mexico and, um, uh, we met these bad guys. We go down pretending to be the tourists. And so you end up meeting these people. And we met this guy that we were told was the biggest trafficker. And we'd met with a few other traffickers. And one of them, uh, once he found out we were working with this guy, he said, oh, well, then I can't work with you guys. He's the guy that runs stuff here. And so we knew we had the right guy in town that was trafficking kids the most. Well, the next day as we're setting up this op, he calls us and he says, hey, I want you to meet my boss. And we're like, aren't you the boss? And he's like, well, no, I have like the guy that's over all of this area. And so we go and we meet with this dude. It's like I, the cartel. It's or? not connected to cartel. No, okay. but you're not sure like at the yeah. time either. Um, the cartel usually stays out of that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Probably um, kills people like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, we're meeting with this guy. It was an 18 minute conversation. I speak Spanish for my Mormon mission, which is kind of a cool thing that's kind of come back around where yeah. I was in Mexico for two years. And so I was able to have this conversation, there's four of us, but I'm the one that's having the conversation. I'm the only one that spoke Spanish with this evil dude. And and for 18 minutes, we're sitting there pitching him on why he needs to work with us. And anyway, long story short, this guy, I mean, he had like middle, middle school teachers that he was working with because they have to have access to kids. And so he had them involved and that's how they would get these kids drawn in and, and just these different things. And we were able to do that takedown and take him out and rescue that day, 20 or 30 girls. And when we were taking him out, like I just knew how many future kids that particular op probably rescued and were hundreds, if not thousands, and watching him get arrested and taken away and just knowing like we walked out of there because we set it up in a first meeting. We go down, we're setting up like a party to bring all the kids to. And when I got back from that, I was pretty scared. I was yeah. like, I told my buddy Travis, I'm like, I think I'm done with this. Like, it's pretty scary. And uh, cause if they were any inkling that we were anything but what we were saying, we were, we were dead. I mean, they had their guys there, they had guns. We were in a dark place. I mean, it was- it was Did you have guns? No, 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 yeah. you can't cause yeah. You're in another nation. You're, the only yeah. thing you have is the fact that we're really good at talking, uh, you know, we're really good. We're making friends with these guys and they believe us. That was like, that's our only defense. But um, anyway, and so when we actually went back two weeks later and did the takedown, it was just so satisfying that particular one. And I was like, oh, man, I've got to support these causes for the rest of my life. And, you know, I haven't been on an op in a couple of years now. I don't really go undercover anymore, but supporting them in every way that I can and every way I do, like even introducing someone like you to them is going to help them in some way. And so I try to help any way I can, but but that was a special, special op just because it was like, I know how much good that did. Like if I did nothing else the whole time I was doing it, getting those dudes out of the way was was super special. Yeah, that's incredible work. Yeah. I'd love to have Tim on this show sometime. And then also I, I do have a, a follow-up question because 
sometimes I tell people what is going on in, in Africa per se, like literally people hunting, killing, cooking, and eating people, Jeez. the rebel groups yeah. thinking that if they do that to the pygmies, that they'll be invincible in battle, that bullets will fly through them, meeting people that, you know, kids that have been given HIV because the witch doctors tell people with HIV, if you sleep with a pygmy person or if you rape them, like you'll be cured of HIV. Oh my gosh. And, um, I mean, awful, terrible stuff, but I think people in our culture, our context, yes, there's bad stuff that happens here. Um, and there's trafficking that happens here. Um, but I think it's so out of sight, out of mind that people just tend to think that evil's not out there in the world, mm -hmm. that it, it, they haven't seen it or experienced it firsthand. And in a lot of ways we're sheltered here. And so from those ops, how, how can you help people understand that like, this is a real problem. I mean, when, even when it comes to slavery, there's more slaves on earth than ever in human history. Right, right, right. 40 million plus. Well, it's crazy. Like I look at right now, like, you know, we know there's a million slave Uyghur slaves in China and nobody like is doing anything. And it's like, it's, it's a little Holocaust. The NBA, like they want to talk about social justice here in the country, but they don't say shit about China. And it's like, you lost me when you just either pick a side or don't say anything, I guess. And it's like, they don't want to see it. They don't want to talk about it. It's like that op I just told you about, it's in a vacation town in Mexico. I'll just tell you. And I've been back there three times on vacation. You don't see anything if you're not looking for it. Like mm. you don't, it's not in front of you, you know, but this is going on all around us. But I don't know what the answer is. Like people have to get out of their way and like actually go to Africa. You went to Africa. I went to these countries. I went all over the world and did this. Like you have to actually go and be a part of these groups on the ground, I think, to really get it. Like I have a friend that just went to Ukraine to help with some of the war effort. Like your experience is gonna be different. It's very easy to write a check or it's very easy to sit back and complain on social media here in the US. Um, and I don't know what the answer to that is to be honest, but it's like, people don't wanna think about it. They don't wanna think about, there's a million slaves right now in China. Like nobody wants to talk about that. It kind of goes with your shirt too. It's like, oh, it's their problem. Well, right. it's our problem, right? Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I had, I had someone at a country music concert and uh, there was two organizations. One was a military organization. One was fight for the forgotten and we do stuff in Africa. So a bunch of drunk rednecks came up to me afterwards, like literally spitting in my face, like cussing me out saying like uh, beers flying. And, and I remember one older lady's spit came right inside my mouth, like inside my lip. And I was just, that's when all of a sudden oh, I yeah. went from like peaceful to like, <laughs> yeah. okay, now I'm mad. Yeah. Um, but telling me, why would you help those those kids over there, there's American kids, they're, they're, they're Caucasian, they're, they're American, they're this and that, they're your own kind type stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, like I'm actually having to, I can't believe this is happening. Right. How are we even having this conversation? But I guess uh, in closing, I think what could be really cool is you riffing on or talking about the importance of yes, evil happens, but there are good people that have to do good things and stand up to it. Yeah. When that's, you know, I learned how to talk about OUR and how to talk about these ops because a lot of times I'd come back and I was all pumped and I'd tell people what's going on and they didn't want to hear it. And that really threw me off. It was mm -hmm. just, it's a dark subject. And so we focus on the hope, we focus yeah. on the success of it, right? And, and there is so much good going on, yeah. you know, and that's the part that I think um, is really cool. Like I've, like in a world where we are given opportunity to do good and it's everywhere. And if you looked for those opportunities, you'll find them. And it's very easy to sit back and just wallow in your own 
stuff or whatever. Really, But like, there's a gift that God's given us that when we go and we serve other people, we will be our happiest. Like yeah. I served a two-year Mormon mission. I don't even, I'm not even part of that church anymore. That was probably as good a two years as I had because all I did for two years was worried about other people. Like I did not do anything but help other people for two straight years. And I have so much love for that experience. So it's like, anytime you get out of your own way, and if you're feeling bad for yourself, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling negative, like you need to serve other people. That's mm. how you get to the place of happiness. And so I think there's these opportunities that God gives us. And unfortunately, we're in a world where there's a lot of bad, there is a lot of negative. And, um, but, but honestly, like, I think it's, I'm more hopeful than ever. Yeah. I think it's so easy to find the good and find good people. And I see it everywhere every single day. Yeah. So. That's so good, man. Live to give. Yep. Live to love, well, love to live. It's just, it's the secret to life, man. And Tori mm. Robbins talks about that every day. It's like, you know, the secret to life is literally in the giving. So. Yeah. Did you have something? Nope. We'll wrap up. I awesome. love you, brother. I love you too, Thank man. Thank you, you so much. This was incredible. This was one of my favorites. How'd Appreciate that alpha you're brain one of my treat favorite you? People. Ah, it must have been pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, we got, <laughs> got me more emotional than I usually am, but maybe I... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thank you to the sponsor of the show, uh, Onnit and Alpha Brain, um, for helping us get into the flow of this conversation. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I feel on it and on top of it. And uh, yeah, thank you, Onnit. If you guys want to support uh, our, the sponsors of our show and support this show, you can go to onnit.com slash overcome. Or you can use the code overcome at onnit.com. Okay, Jimmy, how can people find you and follow you? Yeah, I think, so I post everything through my Instagram. So like, that's the best way to follow me is Mr. Jimmy Rex yeah. on Instagram. But my website is uh, wearethethemovement.com mm. as well. But yeah, that's the best way to follow me. Anytime I'm speaking, uh, you know, anything uh, I'm doing with whatever events or, or different stuff I got going on, I always post through Instagram. So I'd say that's yeah. the best place to follow me. Okay. And it's Mr. MR, not not all spelled out. Correct. Mr., right? MR. And then, yep. yeah, Jimmy Rex. And then uh, you can go to Amazon, get one of his two books or get both of them. Uh, and if you are in the real estate world or investing world or entrepreneur, like Jimmy is going to be a guy, uh, you just heard his heart. You know how genuine he is. You're, he's going to be a guy you want to follow and you'll love it. And you'll, you'll gain a lot of value from knowing and following and hopefully meeting this man one day. So follow him on Instagram and, uh, give this guy support because he, I know him and, uh, he, and you've just heard him. He truly deserves that love and support back. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. I love you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, man. I love you too. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.